1: On the forum at 8, thanks for joining us. What are we asking today? Well, what is making South Africa less attractive to foreign investors? I've got a great panel of guests. I'll introduce them shortly. But let's take you back into the story. The Congress of SA trade unions came out blazing last week against a report that was published by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Lambasted government for not reining them in, reining in the unions. The report claims unions were pushing away investors with a series of strikes and high wage demands. The IMF And now a World Bank report released yesterday raising concerns about our economy, growth, job creation, urging the country to move forward with structural reforms that are already outlined in our NDP, the National Development Plan, in order to boost growth and create jobs for a more growing population. The unions label this as neoliberalism, label the people who back them up as uh, unrepentant neoliberal fundamentalists. And uh, the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry CEO, Naren Rao, arguably by the unions, one of them, is reported as saying South Africa risks losing out on business and international company head offices to other African and developing countries if it does not address these domestic issues. So on the forum at 8 this morning, we're asking you, what is making South Africa less attractive to foreign. An investment. Joining me in studio is the Deputy Chairman of the SA Institute of International Affairs, Political Economist Moiletsi Mbeki. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: And uh, balancing out the equation, so thankfully we also have a woman on the show, Head of Renaissance Capitals Macroeconomic Research for South Africa, Tabi Liokwa. Thank you very much for joining me.
3: Thank
1: you. On the line we have uh, Tony Healy. He's a Labor Relations Consultant. Tony, good morning. Good morning to you. I'd like to start with, let's let's deal with the topic at hand. What is making us unattractive for investors in South Africa? Mr Mbeki, first of all.
2: Okay, well, this is a a rather complex question, and secondly, I think it's probably the wrong question. Uh, The first question I would ask is, what makes us unattractive to South African investors? Because to me, I think this is where our problem begins that our own uh, investors are very reluctant to invest in South Africa we've had yeah. the minister of finance pointing out that south african companies are sitting on a cash mountain uh, and they are not investing they are not investing their money so i would first say why are we unattractive to our own uh, investors who control capital in 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 the country and what would you say is the reason well One of the reasons which I have been given by the people who who control investment is unpredictable government policy. They have never said to me it's because of labor. They have said that the South African government's policies are unpredictable. And uh, there was a mining Lekutla a few weeks ago, and this was repeated over and again, that that you cannot make an investment in a project with a lifespan of 50 years when policies get changed every, every, every other month, because then you cannot predict what profit you're going to make and what your costs are going to be in that investment.
1: Which, so which specific policies would you, would you call into question here?
2: Okay, let me give you an example uh, of the Minister of Mines. She was in Australia, as it happens during the mining in and she said that she is thinking of fixing the rate of return for the mining industry. So that whatever profits they make, she is going to decide what the profitability of the mining industry is going to be. The second one she said is she is going to decide what at what price coal should be sold to uh, to Eskom, and and what the domestic price of coal should be, and how much coal should uh, be exported, and how much coal should remain inside inside the country. Now. On what basis is she going to fix the price of coal? Uh, what happens to the cost of producing of producing the coal? Because she says she's going to determine uh, all all those issues. So if I am a coal miner uh, and the minister is saying that I'm going to determine the price at which you can, you can sell your product, well, I w- I wouldn't make any investment under those circumstances until I get clarity as to what price is she going to fix? And how does she arrive at the price that she's going to fix? So
1: aside from scaring away foreign investment, we're, we're scaring away local investors because of the regulation that we have in South Africa and arguably triple BBBEE, e, something else that scares right. the number <laughs> of investors. We talked about it yesterday on the Forum at 8. Uh, Tabi, thank you for joining us as well. well what's your take on this question?
3: Um, so I, I, uh, Last week I was in the U.S. on uh, an international roadshow. And um, the investors pointed out that South Africa's GDP is amongst the weakest. So we're laggouts in terms of um, economic growth. South Africa's financial markets are also amongst the weakest. Um, We have one of the largest current accounts. Um, We rely very heavily on portfolio inflows. Our currency is very volatile. Um, We have unskilled labor um, amongst the highest unemployment rates amongst our EM peers. So we don't really look attractive when you're looking into investing in emerging markets, and um, you have, you know, countries like Turkey, Hungary, Poland, even Russia, looking better than South Africa. Um, talking about BMW, I know it's um, on the cover of the. It's been on the cover of the newspapers for for a few weeks so now. You can't miss it. Uh, you, you cannot miss it. And I spoke to um, the BMW uh, guys just before. Um, the strikes, it's just, uh, and they were worried about, you know, their um, wage negotiation rounds. And um, they said that they don't have to be in South Africa. They can go to Brazil. Um, they're not a listed company in South Africa. They can go to a Brazil where the skill set is there. They can go to another emerging market where labor is less volatile and uh, production is not interfered. And it's, it's quite disheartening to have such a big, you know, Car manufacturing uh, company, um, you know, say this about about South Africa.
0: Well, are, are
1: those empty threats? Because I can just hear the unions out there screaming, "Well, sure. they're not going um, to leave South Africa." Really, is this an empty threat I'm not to saying force that us they into are, agreeing with so,
3: them? I don't. They, you know, they're not going to leave South Africa. But we just, we just, we have to be aware that these companies don't have to be in South Africa. Uh, we need investment. We need foreign direct investment. We need portfolio inflows, and we need to attract. Um, this type of inflows into South Africa, FDI um, and capital inflows, and we cannot turn. Um, you know, we, we we cannot we can't. Um, we have to be attractive to investors, and uh, you know, it is our fault mm. that that uh, you know labor markets are you know growth and and political uh, situations so noisy and it deters investors.
1: So I've got five things so far on my list. Unpredictable government policy, low GDP. Uh, Praveen Gordon talking about it yesterday. We are downscaling from 2.7%, now the forecast at 2%. Yeah. And economists are already saying that's really overly optimistic. Uh, the current account deficit, although that's come within more limits now. We were talking about well over 11%. So we're now talking more in the region of like 5%. It's
3: currently minus 6.5%, which is quite wide. And the problem with the wide current account is that it relies on um, inflows, so investors need to invest in South Africa in order for our currency, to, I mean our current account, to narrow and if we are deterring these investors because we are such an, an attractive country uh, we will have a widening current account our trade balance is also um you know uh, widening only because we are importing more than we are exporting uh, yes the global demand um, there's a global slump in, in demand uh, there's a, therefore our demand the demand globally for our products is less but at the same time we are importing more um, and we're not taking, you know, we're not capitalising on on other areas that are growing. For instance, Africa. So mm-hmm. redirecting our, you know, trade with other um, emerging markets or our African countries.
1: Well, we have to talk about the threats from the rest of Africa because we've heard that Ghana is uh, wants to be the next gateway to Africa. So no longer South Africa. Let, let me just finish off our list. So we had three major reasons so far. The other two was a volatile currency, and and we know South Africa's currency losing out about. of its value in the last three years, and a large unskilled labor. Let's uh, bring Tony Healy in on this, uh, labor relations consultant. Uh, Tony, what would you add to our list?
4: Well, firstly, please excuse my hoarse voice, but I think one other reason is the unhealthily close relationship between labor and government. Um, If we look pre-1994, we had an unhealthy relationship, if you like, between the state and employers to the detriment of labor. But since 1994, we've had it switched to one whereby we have the unhealthy relationship between labor and the state, um, very often to the detriment of employers. And that leads to, for example, labor having undue influence over labor, labor market policy and undue influence over labor legislation. And that just compounds all of the other issues that the uh, other speakers have mentioned thus far.
1: So the, the unholy Alliance, that some people call it, between uh, Kassatu, yes. the ANC, uh, within the Tripartite Alliance, and now that extending into government?
4: Well, yes. And I think, you know, for example, if we look at the fact that NEDLAC was created to be, um, you know, a, a really, and as it was indeed in the beginning, in the early days, in the 94, 95 era, you know, Nedlec was created as a Tripartite uh, body to uh, facilitate, for example, labor legislation. But no black has, has become all but irrelevant, really, by virtue of the fact that the state and labor uh, pretty much uh, dominates and determines ultimately labor market policy and and the direction in which labor, labor legislation is going. Um, and, and, and employers have... Um, Relatively little say when it comes to the hot-button issues around, for example, um, the regulation of labor brokers.
1: Well, let's uh, let's tackle this major issue. I, I think BMW's been the one that's, that's caught most of the attention, really, saying that they're putting plans on hold, they're freezing expansion projects in South Africa, and, and you've, you've got Saki CEO saying, really, head offices of major international companies not going to be wanting to open it in South Africa. Uh, Moletti, is, is this true? Are, are these companies really just going to exit our market and put their plans on hold?
2: Well, if they say that's what they're going to do, we have to take them seriously. Uh, and we have to address the issues that, that they want addressed. And I know in the case of BMW, for example, their complaint is not just about the strikes, uh, by, by workers on the line. It's about the level of skills in the South African economy. It's about how they transport their, their cars from, from their plant in Roslyn to the export market, the cost of transport, the reliability of transport, and so on and so forth. So there, there are numerous factors that affect a company like BMW uh, for it to stay in South Africa and for it to feel that it is operating efficiently. And we have to address all those issues. Addressing one of the issues mm. uh, is not going to solve the problem. For the coming three years, if I understood the agreement between BM, between the auto sector and NUMSA, for the coming three years there is not going to be any strike, but the, the transport costs are still going to be a huge impact on on the profitability of of the auto companies which have to export. So there, there are many other factors that we. That I'm glad that Pravin Gordon says he's going to sit down with BMW. I think the unions, Kosato included, should also sit down with BMW and get the whole picture, not just uh, the angry moment mm-hmm. when where the managers are angry with the striking workers and the striking workers are angry with the management. A, co- a kind of cold discussion about how to address all the issues.
1: Tabi, I know you met with BMW so my, my question to you, and I'm going to open up the line so I'll, I'll give you a chance to think about it is, yep. what does Gordon say to BMW now? We, we've had the strike seven weeks, this industry's lost 20 billion rand, 50,000 vehicles during the seven week strike, 75% of what they would have exported they've lost over the seven weeks. What does Gordon say? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chance to think about it because I'm sure Gordon's thinking about it today, <laughs> today as well, after he, he made the promise to meet with this industry. But let's open up the lines again. 0891 and We'd love to hear from you on this issue. What makes South Africa less uh, attractive to investors in the country? And uh, as uh, Melissa Mbeki is saying, it's not just foreign direct investment. It's also local investors will be looking at this issue. Mzwandile is calling me from Johannesburg. He says the cost of living is very high. Mzwandile? Uh,
5: this, uh,
1: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, Go to
5: ahead. And, uh, the I think more than anything, we need to look at the root cause. The, 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 the root cause of all the strikes is the cost of living. If you can look at that then we will be able to say we can we can get investors from wherever they are to South Africa. But as long as we are still having this this cost of living uh, so high we will always be having uh, such problems. And also you can't be having <clears throat> in a company where a, a, a CEO uh, rakes in uh, millions per annum, and yet the, the employers are not able to, to do that. So we need to be able to, to, the, to, 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 to look at that thing, because I understand what, what is saying in terms of saying the unions also mm-hmm. need to go and meet uh, PMW, but it won't solve anything. We need to look at the government, government can legislate that our cost of living needs to be very low. I'll make an example,
6: uh, 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 uh,
5: we have been uh, transporting fruits and stuff like that to overseas. Uh, This year, we never transported oranges to Europe, and we had cheaper oranges as compared to to last year. So if you can look at that again, we we have plenty of food, we have got plenty of land, but everything in South Africa is expensive. And as a worker, I want to afford. I'll make an example. I'm a government employee. The education system is, is, is very poor in the country. I had to sacrifice and take my kid to the private school. So at the end of the day, I'm not spending more than what I can afford. W- what do I need to do? I have to go to my employees and say, guys, I need more money.
1: Zwandila, we'll have to leave it there with you. Let's uh, go to Luazi, who's calling in from the Eastern Cape. Hi, Lwazi. <coughs> Hi, Luazi. Okay we'll try to get Loazi back on the line if you'd like to give us a call 0891104209 Ms Wandilo making some great points there the cost of living very high in South Africa the widening gap of between CEOs and the workers not just the gap in itself it's widening so when a 5% increase for for the top CEO comes into place it's really massive and uh, perhaps the, the, you know there's something to the calls for a minimum national wage which has been called for by the number of unions Let's touch on those issues, but uh, Tabi, I, I asked you for a very difficult question before we spoke to Ms. Wandile. Yeah. What does Gordon say to BMW today? And
3: I have a very simple answer. Listen. To listen to uh, the BMW management, because BMW management, what they will say is what a lot of South African, well, a lot of companies would say. Um, and also, uh, you know, l- these labor strikes are affecting margins, company margins. And also, a lot of the uh, what uh, Mr. Mbeki said about transportation, um, you know, delays at the ports, uh, those are things that need to be addressed. And so I, I, the only thing I can say is that um, Mr., um, the minister should listen to what BMW is saying because it's not just BMW that's speaking, but a lot of uh, companies that are investing in South Africa is have that, the same problem. Is that
1: enough to allay the fears? And, and I know we've got Rwazi mean, back it, on we, the line. Obviously, so we we'll to to to
3: mm. um, you know, to reassure. But these companies know what goi- what's going on in South Africa. So uh, as um, Mr. Mbeki and I said earlier, that investors understand the country the
1: underline from the Eastern Cape. Hi,
5: well, I, I would like to hear what the panelists think about uh, the very re- relevant points, they've raised where, where the fact that, you know, these companies that get taxed and then they see the taxpayer's money going to build places like Gaza, whether that would make this country uh, attractive and also the fact that if they have to invest here, they have to pay... To be solicited to pay price, like it's, it's now emerging, it happened with mm-hmm. the case Woodfield. Thank you.
1: All right, Owazi. Thanks for us. Uh, perhaps it's going to take us a little bit, you know, off the topic, but arguably it's on the topic as well. These are things that investors would look at. Uh, Tony Healy, also on the line. I want to, I want to engage you on some of the issues that we've talked about. Uh, perhaps we'll leave it in Kanla for Moletsi and Becky to tackle. But uh, the widening gap of CEOs and, and workers, uh, Tony Healy. How, how do we address this? Is a ma- minimum national wage is, what, is that what's necessary?
4: Well, to some extent, we do have minimum wage uh, legislation in our bargaining council structure. But we do need to ask the question how prudent that is, because there's a school of thought that says a minimum wage um, policy can, in fact, um, inhibit job creation, because, you know, you may well, for example, and let's use an, an actual example, If you have a welder who's willing to work for 15 or 20 rand an hour, um, that is unlawful. He's not allowed to work for that because the minimum wage for a welder is higher than that. So on the one hand, if one raises minimum wages, one does address cost of living issues, but at the same time, one does uh, narrow employment opportunities because there may well be. Um, various artisans, for example, who are willing to work for less than the current statutory minimum, but yet they're not allowed. You know, yet employers are not allowed to employ them on that basis because of that very minimum uh, leg- wage legislation.
1: Let's. Uh, I knew we have someone else on the line. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. SMSs to three four seven zero one. Email us am live at safm.co.za. A quick call from Sebastian in Cape Town. Sebastian, very quickly. Yes,
4: morning to you. What morning. I'm saying is that we don't actually need BMW because our motor industry is wrongly constructed um, as an export industry it's a fraud because what we're exporting is cars that are 70% imported components so what we're exporting is cheap labour and a very large government su- subsidy we need a restructuring of our motor industry that we're actually manufacturing affordable cars for our local population uh, the motor industry as mm. is a prime driver of our RAND being devalued just to keep these cars cheap in the countries where they are sold, um, and this keeps pushing the RAND down, which affects the whole population to support uh, an industry which is 30 or so thousand uh, uh, workers uh, versus a population of between 51 and 53 million who are negatively affected by the RAND evaluation.
1: Sebastian, thanks for calling in from Cape Town. Miletti well, and Becky, well, I, I guess some ways say uh, we, don't, we don't need BMW. Tell that to the workers at BMW right now who are taking home salaries to feed their children. I, I, I want to tackle this issue of Inkandla. Ailing infrastructure in South Africa. We need our tax money to build that ailing infrastructure. Uh, stories about around Inkandla spending millions of RANDs on this uh, how do you deal with that? It,
2: well, can we, can we start with uh, the, the, the issue that was raised by Mzwandile about the cost of living? Because in a way, that's what's at the bottom of the unhappy mm. labor relations environment. There are two things that, that that Mzwandile said. The first one is that he has to he is paying taxes, but he has to send his kids to a private school. So he's paying taxes to the government to provide education for his children, on top of which, because the government fails to produce to provide quality education, he then has to pay the private education.
1: Very system. similar to some of our ministers.
2: So he's actually being taxed twice for for education. So the, the question of, of non delivery of, of state services that the taxpayer pays for by the government is one of the factors that is leading to the instability in the labor market because now people demanding higher salaries in order to pay for the service for which they are taxed, but the service is not delivered. So
1: they're not so, getting what they're paying for. So
2: they are not, and they have to pay some more to the private sector to deliver that service. Malese, so, well, I'm
1: going to ask you to hold on because it's uh, news headlines now, 8.30. I'm going to give you a chance to finish uh, your thought. But first up, here's uh, Vibakshini Chetty. And uh, coming up at 9 o'clock is Rowena Bird. Rowena's on the line to tell me what's in her show. Hi Rowena
7: Indeed Dashan. thank you very much Today morning talk will focus on issues related to transport. October is Transport Month and the Department of Transport is today hosting the uh, the Think Pedestrian Golf Day It's part of the United Nations Road Safety Campaign which is aimed at uh, reducing pedestrian fatalities around the world. We were actually uh, supposed to to broadcast from that event but due to technicalities and uh, whatever uh, logistics we're unable to. So the show will focus primarily on that event, the Think Pedestrian Initiative, and uh, we'll talk to some people attending this event, as well as Transport Minister Dibu Peters. And between 10 and 11, we have the regulars for Tuesday, Personal Finance with Brian Hirsch, as well as Property Matters with Dineo Mulomo. And of course, the, uh, the regulars, like News and Economics News, remain. That's the show for today, Darshan. Thank you. After years of battling to control the AIDS pandemic, South Africa has managed improved results. The prevention of mother-to-child transmission program has ensured less HIV infections in newborn babies. A report by the United Nations says South Africa has also cut the rate of new infections by 41%. However, experts and activists warn that a lot still needs to be done. The Sunday on Interface will discuss the advancements made in the response to HIV and AIDS. We also explore ways to manage the disease and address the high infection rate among young people aged 12 to 24. Join us and participate at 9.30 p.m. Sunday evening
0: on SABC3. Think about what to prosper means to you. Is it all about money, or is it something more? While it's undeniable that money is a vital part of life, it should never dictate the story of our lives. And only when we apply our minds as much to the storyline as the bottom line can we focus on what really matters, the road ahead. Perhaps our castles in the sky don't look the same, or cost the same. But they're our castles, and we all have the potential to realize them. At AbSA we believe that unconditionally. So when you thought about what to prosper means to you, talk to us. As we see it, we're not just there to help you live. We're here for you to prosper. AbSA is a member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. The forum at eight on SAFM.
1: Three four seven zero one. If you'd like to SMS, am live at safm.co.za. Our email address, or give us a call shortly. I'll open up the lines again. Oh eight nine one one oh four two oh eight. Your SMS is uh, Nakana Billy in Sueto says, "Poor profits in the mining sector. That's why we're not so attractive to foreign investors." Comrade Han blames it on the talk of nationalizing businesses. Uh, Tulani Sibandia says unrealistic wage demands from the unions. Uh, unsigned SMS, uh, why would we want all these profits to go to foreigners and then leave the country? Uh, on Facebook, Velen Korsi Tembu says the unions are fighting their political issues by using us, the workers. Uh, Bukelwa Babi SA says, uh, or B- 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 Bukelwa Babi says, SA is less attractive due to the unholy alliance between unions and government. And uh, this tweet comes in uh, the Department of Minerals RSA. Uh, it's factually, factually incorrect to say the minister set a price ceiling for coal as one of the guests on the forum at eight claims. Uh, Tabi, I think that was you. Is that oh, sorry
2: that was you Maletti.
1: would you like to respond
2: uh, well no that's what the minister said she would like to do now whether she has said it or not I, I don't know but can I go back to, to, to the issue which uh, we were discussing mm-hmm. b- before I got off the line as to the causes of instability in in our labour relations I tried to point out responding to a question by Mzwendel that actually the lack of service delivery by this government is one of the causes because it puts more costs on the worker to to have to get the services from the private sector as well as pay the government the tax. And so this leads to demands for higher wages. That is one point. The second point is in our labour market in South Africa there's a huge level of dependence of family members on the one uh, member of the family who's working, this has been calculated as somewhere between five and eight family members, adult family members, not, who are dependent on the one member of the family who, who, who is working. So when I, when the workers are negotiating for wages, they are trying to cover the cost that they have to incur of these other family members. So what does, what is this telling us? What it is telling us is we have to address the problem of unemployment in South Africa so that there are no family members who are dependent on another family member.
1: Well, the IMF is saying all that we're doing in the country is protecting the rights of the people who have jobs already and not helping those who don't have jobs. We've got 25% unemployment in this country. By the expanded definition, a controversial one it's more like 40%. What do we do?
2: Yeah, well, you know the the IMF has been saying this thing for as long as I can remember, and they want but us
1: to implement NDP.
2: It, yes, but what <laughs> you see? What is there to implement in NDP? There, there, there are lots of ideas mm. in NDP. There are lots of good suggestions, but there's no plan on how do you implement these suggestions today. So so we should we should be careful about turning the NDP into some kind of a magic wand, which it is... A magic which bullet is that's not, going to solve yeah, everything. That is, that is going to solve everything. Now, the question of uh, of Incantla was raised by one of the callers. Now, what ha- what actually happened in Incantla was that President Zuma got a plot of land from King Zuelitini, which is the tribal trust land. And I think he said he paid three, eight hundred rands for that plot of land. So he got this huge plot of land, built two huts on this plot of land and then he said, I'm president of South Africa, therefore I need security. So you the government provide all this infrastructure for me so that I have security. Build a clinic, build a uh, a mini hospital, the build shop. <coughs> a tax shop, build all these things. Uh, since he's president he instructs them to do so when he retires, when he's no longer president, all this estate becomes his private property. It does not revert back to the government, which is what the security feature should should be. How does and this
1: feed into our discussion today? How it, how it disincentivizes no, no. How, investors? How it
2: disincentivizes investors is it's because they see there's no rule of law in this country. We are, the president himself is bypassing the rule of law, building his private property at government expense, which he then pockets that asset when he's no longer president. He's building an inheritance, a real estate inheritance for his family at government expense. So for me, as a foreign investor, I can see there's no rule of law in South Africa because this kind of thing happens and there are no repercussions
1: Abhi, let's bring you in here. There was a question around cheap labor, government subsidies, and and really the companies coming in to exploit the fact that we've got a large and skilled, semi-skilled labor force that's prepared to work.
3: Um, I agree. I agree that um, uh, these companies are... Benefiting from the cheap labor, however, um, these car manufacturing companies, especially, employ thousands of workers. And um, coming back to Mr. Begbie's point, that these workers do support, you know, anything from five to 10%, um, ten percent, um, five to ten members, family members. So we shouldn't, um, you know, forget that. Uh, and on on the skills and importing, um, you know, exporting a lot of the vehicles that we manufacture. Um, we don't have sufficient skills in the country, uh, and that's why we import about 70% of um, the components. Uh, if you think about it, uh, if you look at platinum, 30% of our platinum goes to Europe, and um, they use it mainly for uh, catalytic converters, which we then buy back and we insert into the cars that we manufacture. And then we export. So um, it comes back to what the NDP mentions of beneficiation. We need to have the skill set in order for us to create these um, you know, autocatalytic converters and whatever else you need to, to create, um, to put together or assemble a car. Uh, and then we move over to the type of education we have and the type of skills we have. And um, we need to really uh, be very introspective as a country about um, about the level of education. Just quickly on the NDP, uh, you know, I think that the NDP anchors our economic path. Um, you know, I don't think that we should dismiss it. Uh, you know, if you look at countries like India and even China, they had growth plans from the 1950s. Uh-huh. And now they're on their 12th five-year plan. It has changed according to the time. I mean, I'm sure it started as agrarian, and now it's very, you know, focused on technology. And, and you know, we, we are still grappling to understand what kind of economy we are. Um, are we going for a South Korea type economy of you know, small economy, high skilled, but that requires a high level of education? Or are
1: we the neoliberal economy that the unionists is saying? Are exactly. we a mixed economy, a free trade? We, we saw chicken recently imported, exactly. we, we decided for tariffs on it, but we didn't protect our, our clothing and textile okay. market in the same way.
3: So we really need to be introspective as a country to to really decide on what kind of economy we are, what type of country we are, in order for us to buy into a, a growth plan.
1: Tali Heaney, I'm going to bring you in on this, but uh, I just need to open up the lines quickly. 891 we've got a number of people waiting. Guy, Hassan and Kwazi. Let's start with Guy, I think, who called in first from the Eastern Cape. He says it's because of government red tape that we're in this position. Hi, Guy.
5: Hi, Dawson. Thanks very much for a great show. Yeah, I did a a dissertation for my MBA 11 years ago on foreign direct investment um, into industrial development zones. And the key findings there were that there were a number of factors that foreign direct investors look at. Amongst them are things like corruption, crime, um, labor unrest, the issue of factor costs in terms of production, um, transport infrastructure. So there are a number of things that your panelists have raised Mm. that government hasn't looked at. They've, They've, you know and
1: We're calling in government regulations, perhaps overly complex. Yes, there are other destinations to go to. Uh, I know they were talking about Zimbabwe. You can double your profits in Zimbabwe, but at what risk and what sort of market conditions are there? Financial stability and regulation in those markets a question. Hassan, uh, in Johannesburg, businesses using up resources, you say, Hassan?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, when people talk about it in on other stations as well, They seem to blame the unions, and I think Mollet Simbecki has tried to get some balance back into uh, the public debate. But business is often seen as just doing a public good. You look at mining. In the northwest, currently, they are running out of water, and mining uses up most of that water. And there's no discussion about this. You can't eat gold. You can't eat platinum. So really, you know, all this other stuff that we're talking about, catalytic converters, cell phones etc they're important but quite clearly neighborhoods there are not having water they're on a shortage of water so business is not necessarily a good they have to show they have to make the case why they're public good
1: Hassan, thanks for calling in and if he talks about sustainability in business as well it's one of the factors there eh? uh quasi in port elizabeth hi
5: good good morning dash and i think we need to go back to the basics of economics first mm-hmm. we need to focus on education People like in need to be educated because they seem to be talking a um, mountain uh, free man economy. Okay, Quasi, your
1: line is breaking up. We're going to ask you to call us back 0891 Your line is breaking up. We just can't hear you on the line. Uh, Tony Healy, I've got you on hold and I wanted to get your response to some of the issues we've been discussing. Yes,
4: yeah, look, I think perhaps I think, uh, to go back to the IMF focus on the, the voiceless unemployed. Mm. Um, you know, I think that is the reality, and the INF is becoming increasingly vocal about that for good reason. What um, has from Casati the decent wage campaign, which um, of course makes a lot of sense uh, on, on on many fronts, but the problem is that Casati doesn't speak on behalf of the 20, 30, 40 percent unemployed. Um, you know, the you have a youth unemployment figure in excess of 50 percent. And they are a voiceless mess that no one seems to be paying much attention to, at least from a labor market policy or labor legislation point of view. And as we increasingly regulate our labor markets and our labor regulation, it it increasingly renders that very labor market inflexible. And that presents uh, employers with significant challenges when it comes to because of the inflexibility their employment their, their, their job creation prospects so you know again coming back to the closeness of kasatu with, mm. with with government um it results in a in a focus on a decent work uh, regime um, to the detriment of uh, job of job creation
1: Let's bring in an economist here. I've got uh, Efficient Groups Marina Vilimsa on the line. Marina, uh, Gordon's saying we can grow the country by 2%. Considering the discussion that we've had here today, are you one of the economists that think that's overly optimistic?
6: Um, No, I don't think that's overly optimistic at all. Uh, My expectation on economic growth is about 1.9%. So, I think I'm a little bit more conservative than that even um but i do, don't think that the two percent mark is out of reach at all um but it, still growing at two percent is, is technically not enough, and it will not be able we will not we, are, we as a country would not be able to create jobs if we're going to be growing at two two and a half three percent even for the next five years or so, and it makes it incredibly difficult difficult for us as a country to reach. Our employment goals are set out by the National Development Plan if we're not going to get this economy growing.
1: So what do we do? How, how do we help to stimulate growth, attract those investors? If, if it is true by what Saki is saying and the IMF, World Bank, that uh, investors are just losing confidence.
6: You know, we have to remember, I think, first of all, that investor confidence on a global scale um, is dampened and um, there is significant reason for investors to be wary about investing at the moment so they will be looking at investment destinations very carefully um, maybe looking again and again to make sure that they're making the right decisions in the current global um, economic state that the world is in at the moment so again a country like South Africa really has to show it's our best side of the economy to try and get these investments it's critical for our own development, economic development to get investments from overseas. And we as a country sort of have to pick a goal. What do we want to achieve? And then try and communicate that goal out to the masses and try and achieve that goal and do everything that is possible to achieve that goal. And I think that's perhaps what's not happening at the moment we have several goals on the table trying to achieve everything at the same time Mm. and that's practically impossible
1: Marina Willemser joining us from the Efficient Group I'd like to take the discussion we've just got a couple of minutes left on the show I'd like to take the discussion to now how do we deal with the challenges if if it's true that we have this unpredictable government policy, low GDP a current account deficit that's widening trade imbalance, volatile currency unskilled labour, labour and government's unholy alliance which is unhealthy, an abuse of taxpayers as money through corruption and just poorly spent at times through education what's the solution <laughs> and that's a lot I think there's seven in total then I'm sure I've missed a couple that our listeners mentioned to you but perhaps we can go through through our, our panel we've got a great one joining us this morning uh, at and Becky. perhaps I can I can start with you the, an unfair question I'm sure
2: okay well we've just had uh, a speaker saying we have to pick a goal mm. and that is really at the heart of of, of the of the problem, Davy has also raised this issue about us focusing on what type of an economy or a society are we trying to build?
1: In, in <laughs> fact, the NDP asks us to do some research and find out exactly through through DIRCO, International Relations what our key objectives are, what our essentials are.
2: Well, you know that's back in the question. Yeah. <laughs> if you are a planner, you are supposed to produce the, the answer. But I think the question of What is our primary uh, goal, and how long will it take us to achieve that? And then we focus on that. But that is determined by what type of economy are we trying to build. Are we trying to build a raw material economy, which has got some services industries, uh, or are we really trying to build an industrial economy? I was in Sweden a couple of weeks ago. Sweden is like South Africa. It's a mineral-rich country. They have huge amount of deposits of minerals, of iron ore, and so on. But the Swedes decide, and they have a very small population, <coughs> far less people than South Africa. They have about 8 million, 8 million people.
1: But a terrible weather. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the weather was very good when I was there. But they decided they were going to use their iron ore to build an engineering industry which produces your Volvos, your Subs, your Electrolux, and, and and they were going to sell at the world market. They were not going to be deterred mm. by the fact that they only have 8 million Swedes. They're going to compete with everybody else. Now, we have to decide what, what we're going to do. Let me give one last example, which is lack of focus in South Africa. And I'm not blaming the government. I'm blaming all of us as South Africans. We... Are one of the world's leading producers of iron ore. We have huge deposits in the Northern Cape, and we export millions of tons of iron ore to 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 the rest of the world. And what do we? Where do we get the steel for the BMW cars that that we make in South Africa? It's imported. We import iron. We export iron ore, and we import the steel for for the car and i can and just
1: hear the people who say you know apartheid days were better because we had isco doing it for us
2: well <laughs> well yeah, no, not everything that the national party did was wrong <laughs> setting up isco was actually a correct idea the nc was wrong to sell isco to to Metall because Mittal has closed down lots of or production line.
1: Well, see I'm going to ask you to hold on. Let's let's try and wrap up the discussion, and, and I'm going to see if I can give you a couple seconds at the end of the show. So we've heard a possibility. Let's let's focus on what we do best. Tavi, is it mining? Is it agriculture? Is it manufacturing? Because that's what would absorb the most number of jobs.
3: That's correct. I mean, um, our manufacturing sector is what about 15% of our GDP. Uh, But at the same time, we need to, in order for us to be like South Korea, which I think is a great example that South Africa could follow, you need high-skilled labor, you need education. And I think we need to get the education right. Uh, We need to be, you know, this maths and science, focus on maths and science and technology. The whole world has moved towards a technological advancement, and we're lagging behind. Um, We need to also, you know, I think we've focused on too many things, and we haven't really succeeded in many of them. Uh, If we just get education right, that's long term, but we get also, you know, labor right, um, short term. Uh, And that's, I think, will uh, kickstart the economy. Um, I'm told
1: that we need to take a very quick break, and I'm going to give my guests a a chance to wrap up right after this.
3: Okay.
0: We don't know if you'll be retrenched one day. We don't know if your company will be downsized or taken over. We don't know that. But we do know that it's hard to look for a job while worrying about putting food on the table or paying the rent, school fees and lights. So we'll pay you an income for up to six months while you are unemployed. No, we don't know if you'll be retrenched one day. But we do know that not having to worry about an income will give you the freedom to focus on finding a job. The Retrenchment Protector Benefit. To get the Liberty Advantage, visit liberty.co.za or speak to your financial advisor. Ask him, he'll know. Liberty, the advantage of knowing. Liberty is an authorized financial services provider. T's and C's apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.
3: Have you a chance to wrap up your point? Yeah, I was just saying, you know, labor instability is costing the country. Um, you know, last year, the third and fourth quarter, we were supposed to grow much stronger than we did. And, um, you know billions shaved, were shaved from our revenues and um, we find ourselves stumbling again we cannot afford to be muddling along um, especially when global growth is slow the, you know, the economist that you also uh, spoke to uh, quoting 1.9% That's very, that's very low um, our peers When NDP says we need 5% we need 5% to, create, to grow mm. And also we need 5% to cut um, The unemployment rate by a third In 2030, I think that's mm. what the NDP states 11 million jobs by I, then and, and that's, you know, we're lagging Even our goal uh, The NDP So, so you know, currently dismal growth And we need to kickstart our economy We, we cannot afford um, labour instability to trip economic growth.
1: Tabi Luoka, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, am I saying your name right, Luoka? Yes. Yeah. Head of Renaissance Capitals Macroeconomic Research for South Africa. Thank you for joining us this past hour. Tony Healy is on the line at Labour Relations Consultant. Tony, I'll give you 30 seconds to wrap up. Yes, I think that,
4: um, you know, on the unemployment front, it, it, it's the national crisis and, and, and crises of this nature need um, exceptional interventions. I think we could reverse the the growing trend of the regulation of the labour market, and also the removal of minimum wage legislation I think could go a long way to addressing um, the drastic unemployment situation.
1: Tony, thanks for joining us this past hour. Marina Willemser joined us a little bit late into the discussion but Marina as I say better late than never. She's an economist at Efficient Group. Your thoughts? And I think we've lost her
6: line.
1: We do have it. Marina, go ahead.
6: Hi there. I think a lot can be done to uh, sort of financial education towards the masses of, you know, more adult people at the moment. I think there's a lot of people um, in our economy at the moment who are not literate to the degree that they really understand. The financial economy, and that therefore they don't really understand how businesses operate, and they don't know the factors that businesses consider when they employ people or when they do investments. I think a lot can be done to to get people to or employ in, employers and employees to understand each other's each other's uh, side of the, of the story.
1: Thanks for your input, Marina. And fi- the final word to Moletsi and Becky. Seems like education the panacea for, for our discussion today. Would you agree?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think we we all know as South Africans that the development of human capital for South Africa is central to anything and to everything and we we are not paying sufficient attention to this issue. There's a lot of hit and miss policies on the part of the government but the the caliber of people that our private schooling system produces shows that South Africa can address the issue of human capital uh, because we do produce very skilled people out of the private education sector, out of the Model C education sector, and so on, and some of, of, of the government's uh, schools. So that is priority. And the last issue for me is the government has to deliver the services that it is supposed to deliver, because that ameliorates the cost on the worker. If the, government, if the worker is paying taxes and then has to send their kid to, to a private school because the government service delivery is deficient, then that's where we have a problem. So for me, two things, human capital development and efficient service delivery by the state.
1: Well, let's see. And thank, you. thank you very much for joining us, South African Institute of International Affairs, Deputy Chairman and Political Economist. I'm Darshan Midley. Thank you very much for joining us on the Forum
0: at 8 this morning. I'm going to hand you over to Vibhachini Chetty straight away with the 9 o'clock news.